0: We're Super happy to be here. Super happy to be worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day and celebrating the birth of our Lord on a Sunday. That doesn't happen. Uh, next time around is in eleven years. It'll be twenty thirty three before the next time we get to cycle through and worship uh, together on a Sunday morning on Christmas Day. And so it's really neat to be able to do that. Uh, it just doesn't happen as often as we'd. We'd like and so I'm excited to be that we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today So if you've got your Bibles go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2 If not, it'll be on the screen and you can follow along up there as well Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord And in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria And all went to be registered each to his own town And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while she was there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this this babe who's in this manger, who at birth is Savior of the world. Father, we thank you that that for those whom you are pleased, you, you bring the peace of Christ into our lives. Father, we thank you that as we see Jesus here in the manger, we know he didn't stay there, that he lived a full life, sinless in every way, and sacrificially gave himself to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay. Father, that is is a glorious gift, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship through the hearing of your word, that um, you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you would um, just put me aside and and allow your word to be presented well and that you be represented well. You be glorified and you be honored. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2. Man, Luke chapter 2. Leah and I were talking about this. Christmas and Easter are tricky when you're a pastor, right? Luke chapter two is one of those tricky sermons for anybody to preach. Not because there's not a lot of uh, of good meat in here, not because there's anything like that, but it's it's Christmas Sunday, and it's one of those messages where y'all already know what I'm supposed to be saying, right? You already kind of know. We we've we've heard this. We we got a little bit even. Thank Charles Schultz for that. Like Leah said, right? We've been hearing this since 1965. Every every Christmas on TV. And and it is tough to preach. And I but but it's not again like because of a lack of spiritual meat. But it's sometimes tough for us to preach Luke chapter 2 because our hearts are often filled with so much nostalgia that we forget to look for the spiritual meat in the story that is the birth of our savior. We forget to look for those things. We can we can easily get caught up in all the warm and fuzzies of our of our favorite Christmas memories. Right? We, we maybe think back to the, to the favorite gifts we've received, or we think back to the, the, the favorite gift that we've been able to give to somebody. Or we reflect on, on maybe those little Christmas programs when we were in, when we were little kids, or maybe the Christmas programs that some of our kids might have been in. Maybe we reflect on, on family gatherings, or we think about, back to those favorite people, or we reminisce about the loved ones who are no longer with us. See, this is, this is a little bit of a danger when we think about the nostalgia, when we think about the nostalgic Christmas, right? The memories sometimes are void of our Savior whom we're claiming to celebrate. This year, as is, you is make memories, make sure that they're filled with Jesus. And that's my goal today, is that as we, we dig into this passage that we've heard numerous times, I want us to ask the Lord to, to remove this kind of cloud of nostalgia from our eyes and, and open our hearts to His Word so that we can see about the coming of our Savior deeply. I, I love how it starts out. In verses 1 through 5, the, the, the physician Luke, right, who, who was a traveling companion with Paul and Barnabas and, and was a great missionary to the, to the Gentiles in the early church, Luke sets the stage for what's happening. Luke two one he he's given us a little sneak peek into the prophecy of of Christ's upcoming and impending birth and and he continues to tell that story and in verse one he says in those days I like that this is this is Luke's way of saying I don't know exactly when it happened but but I do know some of the details right Caesar was Augustus was 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 in Rome he declared a sentence Quirinius was ruling in Syria and all of this was taking place because. It was already in the plan. It was already in motion. Jesus' birth happened in a manner that it did because God the Father, in his divine providence, foreknowing this imperial decree, used it to bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem while she was nine months pregnant. Like jot and tittle detail, our God is. Every little thing. Without knowing it, I want to think about this. Without knowing it, Caesar and Quirinius were used by God. To fulfill a 400 year old prophecy from Malachi chapter 5, verse 2, promising that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Our God is always at work to fulfill his plan. And we see that in in just the first five verses of Luke chapter 2. We see our God working that way. And then we get to verses 6 through 7. This is the actual birth of Jesus. Right, some of the specific details of that moment. The, the imperial decree caused little Bethlehem of Judea to be crowded, this, this village, a small community. Joseph and Mary most likely would have looked to stay at some of Joseph's extended family. We know he was from the house and line of David, and, and some of those folks would have still been there. And that would have been the custom of the time. But there was no room. Right? That, that inn that we see mentioned in Scripture... It could, have been, it could have been a lot of different things. It could have been a, a spare room that was kept specifically in your home for traveling family and traveling friends. Or it could have been this kind of public lodging place as part of the town square where travelers would go through. It didn't really matter whether it was in a family member's house or it was in the town square. There was no room. The town was crowded, packed out. It's not like Joseph had the option of calling ahead and making reservations. That's not how it worked 2,000 years ago. The only place Joseph and Mary had to use as a birthing room was a stable. I've been in a barn and I've seen animals born in a barn. And it's kind of a cool experience. I would not want to have my wife have to give birth in a barn. I just wouldn't. It's not the most, it's just not the place I think. You know, Leah, let's, the water broke. Let's get you to the barn real quick. I, just, I don't think that's going to go over well. But it's all they had, and they made do with what they did. And I, and I thought about this, too, and we don't know. This is, this is, I guess, coming from the book of Speculations. But we know that Mary stayed with her cousin Elizabeth until the birth of John the Baptist. We see that from Luke chapter 1. And it makes me wonder if Mary, this young girl who herself was pregnant with our Lord, used that experience to be her own midwife, if she had helped Elizabeth along. We have have no record of a midwife with her. She knew what to do, knew how to care for that baby instantly. Now that could have also been the Holy Spirit just making sure of all those things being in place. But here they are, giving birth in a barn. And she takes the baby and she wraps him up in cloths to swaddle him, snuggle him up good and tight. And then she lays him in a hay trough as if it were a bassinet to keep him warm. Here he is, the king. right? And not just the king of Israel. He's the king of all creation. The creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who has descended from heaven and is laying in about the most humble and lowly places I can imagine. I get some pastors really like to kind of play up the dirty barn scenario. I'm not going to do that. Barns are not super clean, but stalls get mucked. Farmers don't like to leave their barns really dirty. It's just not as sanitary as we're used to. Yeah, it's less than ideal situation, and and it's really, really far from what you and I would consider sterile or clean today. But those are today's standards, right? Let's focus more here on on how God the Son, the one who in, in John 1 verses 3 through 4 has said, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about how how that individual humbled himself to come to earth, the earth he created, by the way. And he came to earth in this fallen and stained, sinful earth. He's here. And he did it so that he could reconcile and redeem his creation. Just, it's crazy. this, This infant who lays in this makeshift crib with a mattress of straw is the creator of the universe, and he's arrived. And this should be the greatest news the world has ever known or the world will ever know. Yet here he is, Jesus, an infant, is already setting an example about how our understanding of greatness is not his, God's understanding of greatness. He's already setting that example. Just, just moments fresh from the womb and a setting, setting this example of, of ultimate humility coming from heaven to be in this way. And, and this is how the kingdom of God operates. Right? The first shall be last and the last shall be first is, is what Jesus teaches us in Mark 10, 31. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see that in James 4, 6 and, and 1 Peter 5, 5. See, true greatness is, is not always visible greatness as the world understands visible greatness. And here we see Jesus giving us an example of that, lying in a manger to show us He came to us in this manner because of the love he has for us. Verses 8 through 14, they reemphasize the humility of our Savior. Again, we talked about this being the biggest news story ever, right? And, And here he is, the most powerful king of the universe, and he's just come to the world in flesh, and it's time to announce his birth. And who do they tell? Well, they didn't call up the Jerusalem press corps, right? There wasn't anything going on like that. There was no um no smoke no clouds no fireworks no nothing who do they tell right well in our minds it makes sense to tell everybody right this is this is a royal birth this should be proclaimed all around the world right there should be heralds and and press agents and and all of that sort of stuff that's how it should work right at the bare minimum joseph should at least be taking pictures and making phone calls to grandparents Right? There should have been some sort of social media post. Welcome to the world, our little Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph. Man, it's been a rough night, but mom and baby, you're doing fine. Right? Should have been something. That's not what happened. This is not how the humility of our Savior works. The birth announcement of the Savior is brought to shepherds. Now, this is really kind of interesting because shepherds in Jewish society were just a step above Gentiles and Samaritans. They were low. They, they were some of the least of these. They were the lowliest people that could still be considered part of Jewish society. The Mishnah, which is Judaism's written record of the oral law, has this to say about the shepherds. Shepherds are incompetent. No one should ever feel ob- obligated to rescue a shepherd has fallen into a pit. Now this is the oral law, but yet the law, the Pentateuch, the the first five books of the Bible say that you're to help people. But the rabbis are like, eh, except the shepherds. That's rough. That's rough. The Jeremiah's, which is another Jewish writing, it comes from the 6th century, um, and it talks about shepherds this way. It says, to buy wool, Milk or a kid, meaning a baby goat or a baby sheep, from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it was already stolen property. They just made the assumption that these guys were crooks and thieves and and idiots and had nothing better to do with their lives. Yet here it is, the greatest news of all time is first brought to the lowliest of God's image bearers. Those who were thought to be the least of, God thought of first to share this amazing news. I love this. I love this because it means that our God feels it is important to bring high theology. High theology to the lowliest of people. I love that because it says that nothing about poverty, nothing about status, nothing about class, nothing about education should ever keep people from knowing our God and knowing Him well. I love that. And and notice something here. We see the divine having an encounter with humans, and the reaction is almost always the same in Scripture. People are afraid. There's this encounter with the divine that will instill fear in us because we know who we are. And we know what we are, and we know what we deserve. But the angel says, fear not, for I bring you great news of great joy. Good news of great joy. I love that. This good news of great joy, this good news of great joy drives out the fear. And that joy is Christ Jesus. And, and when he makes this pronouncement of Jesus' birth, he, he does this thing that's just a beautiful, beautiful. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel gives Jesus three titles. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, meaning the one who would bring about repentance and forgive the people of their sin. Christ is, is the Greek word that means Messiah. And, it, and it's a title rather than really a name, right? It, it's the Christ. The Messiah is the, is the long awaited one who will bring about God's kingdom here on earth. And calling him Lord, letting them know that this is God Himself in human flesh. This baby that has been born in Bethlehem is the one who reconciles a fallen people back to God, ushers in the kingdom of God on earth, and is the one who created the universe. Now, I'm not sure that the shepherds understood all of that. There are days when I'm sitting with scripture and I read a passage like that and I see a verse like that, that it just takes a little bit for me to go, whew, that's a lot. If I'm not getting it, I'm not sure that everybody else is getting it. And that's okay. It's one of the beautiful mysteries of Scripture. But here they are, not necessarily getting it, but man, they're excited about it. And they want to see it. They're going to go to that stable, and they're going to arrive there. And what they're going to know is what they have witnessed is great and wonderful. And then we get to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow, oh, so beautiful. It's just one of the most beautiful individual verses in Scripture. Glory to God in the highest. The angels proclaim the news about Jesus. The eternal, omnipotent Son of God has just taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men for the fulfillment of time. Has now come, and God has sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. I like that the Apostle Paul tells us that about Jesus in in Philippians 2 7 and Galatians 4 4 and 5. That this is it, that this is who God is, and we should praise him for that. Give him the glory. And the angel continues on saying, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love that peace. Peace is a a much richer concept within Hebrew culture than it is, I think, often for us. Right? We we think about peace, we think about lack of conflict, we think about lack of turmoil, we think about just a calmness sometimes. Peace for the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth is, is an idea of not just peace, but and calmness, but of a positive blessing, right? And and it really meant having a right relationship with God. It's this kind of greater notion that, that all is well in life, but not just that all is well in life. All is well in life specifically during my hardships, specifically during my persecutions, specifically during my tribulations. It's really a sense of I am God's and he will see me through. That's the kind of peace the angel's proclaiming here. I am God, and he will see me through. I love that because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 prophesies about that. The peace that comes to those who God calls himself, it comes to the followers of the Son, Jesus When we surrender our lives over to him, he brings that kind of peace. I am God's, and he will see me through. Another thing is we we look at this brief little passage here, this one verse, we see the angels are teaching us what worship should look like. True worship. See, when we have an encounter with with the divine and and we experience the joy of Jesus Christ, we're going to want to worship. There's nothing going to want to hold us back from that. The angels worship, even though they cannot experience the same salvation they proclaim to the shepherds. We have been uniquely created by God to experience that. Because we were made in His image. and We're the only things made in His image. Of all that He created, heaven and earth, man was made in the image of God. And therefore, we can have a special relationship with him. And the angels, though, worship anyway. And they worship because they know and they have experienced the greatness of God. And we, through Jesus Christ, this baby born in a manger, can experience the greatness of God. And when I look at this, there's so much happening in just these six verses that we've looked at, just just 8 through 14. We we see the the natural human fear of the divine. We we see Jesus being the good news of great joy, driving out all of our fears. We also see the good news of great joy properly ordering our worship and, and, and centering ourselves on that. And the beautiful thing is the object of worship here is God. Nothing else. Nothing else is do our worship. I love Leah. And she hates it when I use her as a sermon illustration. And I'm going to get it later. But she's amazing. She's my best earthly blessing. She's my best friend. She's my sounding board. She's my partner in ministry. And there's no one on earth I'd rather spend my life with. But I got to tell you this, she makes a lousy God. Now, she's worthy of a lot of things from me, but she is not worthy of my worship. She does not have the capacity to make me whole. Only God, through Jesus Christ, has the capacity to make me whole. He is the only one who can complete me. He alone is worthy of worship. And he is the only one who needs and deserves our worship. We should give it to him and him alone. And then verses 15 through 18, we see when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We see this as they go into this, they now start to see the proper response once they've had an encounter with the divine. They get excited. They want to know more about it. And they go find out more about it. And then, then they tell others. We should tell others. Once that song service and that pasture with these shepherds was over, the shepherds went out and proclaimed what they had seen and what they had heard. They left that time of worship and went out into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It was these guys who first acted on the gospel message that they heard and they acted by spreading the gospel. Good news of great joy and peace has come to us. The reconciler to our souls is here. And they go tell anyone who will listen. See, they knew that they had this gift and that they had received a gift that was, that was way too great to keep to themselves. Now, they weren't commanded by the angel to go tell anybody. It's not what the angel says to do. The angel just tells them. There's not a big booming voice from heaven, God the Father saying, now go proclaim this. It's not what happens. They were compelled by the Spirit to go see it and to tell others. They were sharing the gospel out of the joy that had filled their heart. It is the Lord himself, not the angels, who is the source of all this revelation to the shepherds. It was him working in their lives. And he is the ultimate source of the revelation of our need for Christ as well. And he will draw us to him. And here we get back to poor Mary. She's tired, I'm sure. And she's just trying to take it all in. And she just sits but Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. She just sat in awe, pondering the greatness of it all, treasuring it in her heart. She was seeing the word of God that she had heard from a little girl up. She was seeing the prophecy that the angel Gabriel had given to her about the child that was be in her womb, and she didn't understand how that was going to work either. She was seeing all of that come to fruition, and she just treasured it. And pondered it. And she's giving us an example of how to meditate on the things of God. How to just take time when we're in the Word. When we experience the Word. When we've had an encounter with the Divine through His Word. To just ponder it. Take the moment. And in verse 20, the shepherds continue. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They continued to worship and praise God. It looks like it's becoming a lifestyle rather than a a 1030 service. It's becoming a part of who they are. That's what it should be for us. As as we take the time to kind of look at this familiar scripture, as we start to feel nostalgic about Christmas, because it's easy to do, ask God to bring into your memory your first real encounter with Him. That time in which you knew the Holy Spirit had grabbed a hold of you as a believer in Christ and said, you're mine now. Surrender it to me. Remember that first encounter. Remember the fear and trepidation you felt of the the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember the joy you had as, as Jesus Himself drove that fear out of you as you knew his forgiveness washed over you. Remember the excitement you had and how you wanted to proclaim what Jesus had done in your life. Remember worshiping him for his sake and the joy he filled you with as you did it. Use those nostalgic moments to proclaim the birth of our Savior this Christmas. Today we celebrate the incarnation of our God, Emmanuel, God with us. Just think about that. God the Son came to live among the men who sinfully rebelled against him as one of them so that they may be reconciled back to him. That's amazing to me. Jesus lived this this sinless life even though he was tempted in every way that you and I are ever tempted. And he lived a sinless life that you and I cannot live. And then he willingly gave his life on the cross to pay the debt you and I can't pay, to make the sacrifice you and I can't make. And he bore the wrath, the just wrath of the Father that we cannot bear. And he calls us to follow him. And he'll give us eternal life. Share the greatest gift you've ever been given. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ is the greatest gift you've ever been given. And if you're a follower of Jesus's, I beg you to share it this Christmas. If you don't know Jesus, what a great gift to get on Christmas. Knowing the God of all creation. If you want to talk to me about that, I would love to talk to you about that. Whether you're online or here in the house, we'd love to talk to you about knowing Jesus personally. Let's go ahead and go to him in prayer.